Thank you. I really appreciated the opportunity to sit together for that 45 minutes. Um, and to, to rest with you and to really um, allow whatever comes next <laughs> here to really come from that place of being resourced in, in the stillness and in the silence. And um, I have to uh, be honest that um, when I am asked, what topic do I want to speak on? <laughs> I'm so lazy usually. I'm like, oh, I have to think of a title. And so I often just capitulate to the title of my book because this, you know, it came out in November. And so it's sort of the easiest topic, the path of least resistance. But, you know, there's 10 different chapters in that book. And so I could talk about 10 different things under that title and probably more. And so, um, and so I was like, well, there might be people here who've heard me speak on, you know, my book before. I don't want to repeat. And so, um, I just, during the break, I was lying down with my legs up and I just thought, well, there's a lot I could say about this topic that's not in my book. <laughs> um, and I think that's really, um, that, that's really what it means to be made for these times, I think, is to show up and, and honor what's what's present. Um, and so I was thinking about a time when I was uh, leading a Sangha in DC when I lived there for three years. And most weeks I would show up, it was also on a, it was a Monday night. Um, most weeks I was very, you know, motivated and uh, interested and, and, and happy to, to meet with people. And this one particular week, I don't know what was going on with me that week, but I felt not in a good place. I was in a funk, you know, just in a bad mood. And I thought, I can't show up and teach in this state. Like I just had low energy, just, you know, and I, and I thought, well, it's too late to try to find a sub. I have to just show up in this <laughs> terrible state. I thought, there's nothing I can teach with, with all that's going on in me. But what was amazing was I showed up and the energy of the group lifted me up and changed my state and uh, really gave something to me. Um, 
And it was, a, it was a very humbling experience and a very wonderful experience to think, well, there I was getting trapped in the idea that I had to do something as the teacher or the leader of that group, but actually just had to show up and be a part of that group. And what we had been developing week after week, month after month together was enough to carry me. Um, and I shared something. I don't know what I shared, <laughs> but I told them that at the end of the, of the group, I said, you know, I came to this group tonight feeling so terrible. I didn't think I had anything I could offer. And they were very surprised because that didn't kind of mess with their idea of, what, of <laughs> who I was or the role that I was playing. And so, um, So I, I'm so grateful that I showed up in, in that state that, that I didn't, that I discounted. And, and it was just one of, one of these experiences I've, I've touched in my life that we're so much more than who we think we are. And... Um, There's, there's, when we show up um, to the best of our ability, there's a whole source beneath the surface of things that's ready to rise up and support us or support the situation um, that we can't see, we can't know unless we just take a risk and put ourselves out there. And so, so we were made for these times is a, a kind of trusting life and not turning away from what we can't control and what is maybe painful or yeah that disrupts us in some way um, and so there's something about sticking with it, you know, um, daring, daring life <laughs> to, uh, to show us what's really, what's really true. Um, I remember as a nun, I would often, we had a practice every week called Beginning Anew. We would come together and share our appreciations of each other 
as nuns, as lay women who lived in the same hamlet. We'd share our, any regrets we had, anything we wanted to clear, clear from the collective consciousness from the previous week. If we'd been irritable or we'd, you know, uh, not been able to show up for something. But many, you know, there was just an opportunity to start afresh as a community. And I remember um, it was at the end of the week and sometimes I would feel tired and I would have that mind, that dragging down mind of, oh, I don't want to go, I'll just stay, stay in my room, take a nap. Or there would be that voice. And mostly I would, I would go. Um, and whenever I would go, especially in that low energy state, I would always be delighted, surprised, and refreshed to really feel the, the goodness of the energy of the community infusing me. And I would leave that practice with a lot more energy and just really glad that I hadn't missed it. Um, So it's just an invitation for us to investigate that mind that tries to convince us that we can't do something, that something is too much for us, that we don't have the energy. Sometimes that's true. I think sometimes that voice is true. And I don't always know, you know, how to know when it's true and when it's not. <laughs> but There's a sense of, for me, of alignment when we're in alignment with what we're meant to be doing with our lives, even when we have this pull, like, no, I don't want to do that, that's too hard. If we show up for what we sort of agreed to do, what we put ourselves out there to do, my experience is that there's uh, many surprising rewards, many surprising teachings that come to us and say, yeah, yeah, you can do this. And um, just to zoom out for a moment and to think about this collectively, like just out of curiosity, how many of us here, you can raise your Zoom hand, your camera's not on. How many of us here feel like we got plopped down in the wrong time in human history? <laughs> how many of us here are like, wait, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this utter chaos. <laughs> I'm supposed to be somewhere else. I was supposed to go through that door, not this door. Right. Okay, some folks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's scary, right? This is scary. Intimidating, you could say. There are, there are some elements about these times of great turmoil, great uncertainty. 
great challenge and peril that, you know, the things young people are having to manage in high school and college. I never had to, to think about when I was in high school or college, right? Um, And I remember when I was a teenager, so my dad was in the civil rights movement and I loved reading books about the civil rights movement. As a young person, and as a teenager, I remember reading Alice Walker and young people who had, were sharing their memoirs of their work in the civil rights movement. And it was so glorious to me, people really, so heroically putting their lives on the line for what they believed and they're really managing to change things in this quite phenomenal way. And I had this yearning to be born at that time so I could help in the civil rights movement. So there was this sense of, no, I should have been of that generation. Um, and and also, when I was slightly younger, like maybe 12, 13, I remember reading books about Native American medicine women. And I also had this sense, oh, I should have, that's what I should have been, or that's what I was meant to do in some you know, other century. <laughs> this sense of identifying with another time, maybe feeling a bit out of place. And yeah, maybe that's, that's really even a, a species level reality of like, what have we done? How, how did we get here? How are we going to manage this? It's, it's so much on the line and um, and so much changing so quickly. And structures beginning to, to slip away or to unravel that we, we've relied on for our whole lives. Um, voting. Okay. Can we, can we even rely on our electoral process in the United States? Is that, will that be protected? But I don't, um, I don't think that we, we came here by accident, any of us. And that um, yeah, that we, we got dropped off in the wrong place. I think we all have a purpose here, and we we have something that we are here to do and 
And for those of us who identify as practitioners, maybe all of us here who are on a spiritual path, the very practices that we are training in are the practices that we need for this this moment, for this time. So I was traveling in India as a nun in 2008 with Thai, with my teacher Thich Nhat Hanh and a group of um, some 70 monks and nuns, maybe another 70 or 80 lay practitioners, my dad among them. And we were in um, Dehradun. We had just done a retreat for educators in Dehradun, north of Delhi. We were taking a train to another place. We were on a teaching tour. So Thai was leading retreats and days of mindfulness and speaking to the Indian parliament. And we had a large retreat for Dalit people, some 3,000 Dalit people. Um, so we were leaving, we were coming to the Dehradun train station to all get on the train. I had fruit in my bag and I, there were people begging. So I asked my dad to hold one bag so I could get fruit out of my bag. So he put down his things so he could help me. Anyway, he didn't pick up all of his things. And only when he got back when he found his seat on the train, did he realize his bag with his laptop, his cell phone, and his keys was not with him. And he went back to where he had put them down. It wasn't there. And um, well, he was very distraught. And uh, he was able to, you know, file a missing bag report with the the head of that train station, but he was pretty, pretty well in despair that he wouldn't see all of these precious items again. So he was sitting across the the aisle from a Muslim woman and her two daughters. One of them was about 11. The other was about six. It was during Ramadan. And um, so he began to take advantage of the free chai that was being served uh, down the aisle. And it was cup after cup of very sweet, uh, comforting chai. And he he asked this young daughter, the 11-year-old, her name. And she said, Hannah. And he introduced himself. And they struck up a conversation. He asked, well, won't you have some chai and biscuits? And she said, no, I'm fasting because it's Ramadan. So he asked Hannah, he said, have you ever lost anything? And uh, she said, well, I've lost books and I've lost a friendship you know, after an argument with someone. And my dad said, well, Hannah, I lost something very precious to me, very big book. And uh, he told her the story of, of 
trying to find it, not being able to find it, and how it had all the things he needed when he would get back home. And Hannah looked at him very um, directly and said, Uncle, in India, any, anyone elder is your uncle or auntie. Uncle, you have to give thanks for the gift God has given you this day. That's what Hannah said to my dad. My dad was not expecting that from an 11-year-old child. But it really... changed his state of how he was perceiving this loss. So that was a, a message in a way through her. Of, you were made for these times. Give thanks for what you have in this moment. Don't cave in, don't collapse. Fill out the space that you occupy and claim the space. Okay, I've lost this precious thing. And how do I give thanks for the gift of this day? By some miracle, uh, they continued this, this conversation and, and actually have stayed in touch and now Hannah's past college and they still... Uh, he's stayed, my dad's been in touch with their family and, and their friends. But by some miracle, some weeks later, I think the bag was found and these things were able to be returned to my dad. Um, but that was a real message from, from the cosmos. Stand up. You were made for these times. You can do this. You can meet this moment. That was the message that I took from it. And so, you know, part of what I think our practice is in this time of so much challenge, of so much change, is to shift our perception that we are supposed to be in control and prepared and to know what, what's going on. That's what's so, that, that's what throws us off balance is when we don't know and we think we're supposed to know. But what if we, we shifted that perspective right in the midst of all that's dissolving and connected with some sense of trust, some sense of balance, some sense of thankfulness, right? Give thanks for what God has given you this day. And, and, and we fall with rather than resist the dissolving, we fall with it, we, we, we flow with it, and we touch that, that 
already in the midst of, in the chaos of this, there are the seeds, there, there is the capacity to meet this. This moment, and the next, and the next, and the next. So when a butter, when a, when a caterpillar creates its uh, chrysalis, it starts this process of dissolving into the soup. Within the soup are imaginal cells that have the, the total know-how of of how to reform into a butterfly, right? The caterpillar probably doesn't know that. Maybe they do, I don't know. But, but the process knows what to do, right? So what would it be like to trust that the imaginal cells for whatever is coming next are right here in the midst of this breaking down and that the process knows what to do. If we don't fight it, if we don't insist that we have to know with our cognitive minds, that maybe our bodies know, right? Like the caterpillar's body knows what to do. So this is, I think, our, our task, both individually and collectively, is to is to trust this and flow with it and even celebrate in the midst of it. This is this is from the elders of the Hopi Nation in Oribe, Arizona. They say there is a river flowing now very fast. It is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will feel they are torn apart and will suffer greatly. No, the river has its destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore, push off into the middle of the river, keep our eyes open and our heads above water. And I say, see who is in there with you and celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey comes to a halt. The time for the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we've been waiting for. So I love this teaching, right? Know that the river has its destination. That's like the caterpillar knows that within it, it has already all that it needs to transform into something else, right? these imaginal cells and if we try to hold on to the shore to what we know to what we can control to what's familiar we'll be torn apart because the river is moving so fast right 
Imagine if a caterpillar is nature, which is to create a chrysalis and transform into a butterfly. What if, what if it tried to cling on to being a, a caterpillar, right? While some part of it was making a chrysalis, it, it wouldn't work. So they will feel they are torn apart and will suffer greatly if they try to hold on to the shore. So they say, push off into the middle. Keep your eyes open, your heads above water. See who is in there with you and celebrate, right? So this sense of surrendering to what's happening, but also reaching out to others and making a deep connection, not taking this personally and not trying to do things on our own. Now, when I think about the things that we are confronted with on a daily basis, no single human nervous system can handle that. 250 species going extinct every day. I need to hold someone's hand and a group of people's hands to be able to even conceive of that, the loss, the terrible, terrible the devastation that that means each and every day, right? But so much of what we're taking in through the news, through, through conversations, through books or podcasts, whatever, it's, it's not things we can take in as individuals. And so how do we, how do we really hold each other's hands, create groups that we can hold the realities of these times with? My dear friend Kriti Kanko, an Indian climate scientist and Zen teacher, talks about islands of sanity, creating groups of five to seven people within the sea of climate chaos that we, we really need, small groups of people that we can be with, connect with regularly, process these realities with, and formulate actions together, how we want to be in response to what's happening, right? how we want to celebrate each other so that we can um, have the energy we need to not just be subjects upon which this reality is playing out, but, but actually participants, right? And have something to offer, have something, some way to, to shape and move with this river. So... So this is trusting that we do have what is needed for this moment. Another, another way it's come to me that I have appreciated is, is through Thomas Hubel, a German, a German teacher who shares about climate change and uh, collective trauma healing. He talks about how um, 
basically when when a generation goes through trauma like <clears throat> war famine and doesn't heal that trauma it gets frozen and it also gets passed on to the next generation and then the next generation has their experiences of trauma which don't get healed and that's another layer of ice on the first layer of ice and on and on so you have a big block of ice after several generations of this. <clears throat> and that basically we are, um, each of us, <clears throat> a product of societies that are molded by unhealed collective trauma, that are, our societies are traumatizing and they are traumatized. All this intergenerational trauma that hasn't been healed just produces more trauma. And um, when we are courageous enough to meet our own grief, to turn towards our particular experience of this trauma and, and care for it and metabolize it, that's a kind of melting of the ice. It's freeing up energy that's otherwise stuck in our psyche, in our collective psyche. And that, that's, that can only happen if we turn towards ourselves with compassion, with, with a deep respect. We didn't choose to inherit that trauma, so it's not, we're not to blame. So um, we've inherited unjust and ignorant systems that have violence in their very DNA. Mm -hmm. And that if we, if we can heal the trauma in ourselves and in our collective, those systems can change. Um, so, so back to this image of that Thomas Hubel has of this block of ice, he says, with, with the possibility of this trauma being healed and this ice melting, he said, underneath all these layers of ice are all the things we need to heal our world, to heal massive inequality, to heal our very abusive relationship to the planet, our abusive relationships to each other as groups, as genders, as um, different classes, um, to heal our economic systems, educational systems, everything is there beneath this, this ice. So, you know, this Coming into the body, that's the only place where trauma can be healed. We come into the body and listen to the body. <clears throat> and the body is, is nature also, right? So connecting with the earth and listening to the earth is very closely connected to our capacity to heal. 
to reconcile, to make peace with. And anytime we come back to our body, that's an ecological practice. That's an earth healing practice. So this this collective trauma that enfolds us all, a big piece of it also is white body supremacy, a term from Resma Menikin, author of My Grandmother's Hands. He speaks about white body supremacy as trauma, not just coming from trauma, not just creating trauma, but itself is trauma, right? This, this understanding, this, this perception that um, from the beginning, certain bodies are, are human and other, others are not. That's trauma. That is trauma. That <laughs> doesn't just create it or or come from it. So that's collective trauma. So um, fossil fuel imprisoned lifestyle is a part of that trauma. This kind of fossil fuel fascism where um, the economic interests of a very few are dictating what can and can't happen for the vast majority of people on the planet. This extracting consciousness, this earth distancing mindset, um, it's, it, it is a traumatized mindset because we don't feel we don't understand our belonging to the world to each other and so this path of healing of melting the ice in our own psyche in our collective psyche it's it's about pausing feeling taking care of ourselves listening to our bodies, listening to the earth body, which is not separate from our body. When we, when we come into our body and feel the the life force that circulates in our body. When we connect with the world around us and really take in as a spiritual discipline, the, the moment to moment unfolding of life around us we 
we can experience our belonging. That we have a right to be here. We, We have an important role. We matter. The earth is holding us close to her, this incredible force of gravity. We can allow ourselves to be held close to the earth. We can allow ourselves to take up the space that we are in. When we, when we get in touch with all the wonders that are inside of us, allowing us to live from day to day, moment to moment, all the wonders around us. And when we have that sense of being a part of this incredible process of life, belonging to the larger whole, being connected to all these earth beings, then we we do whatever we can to protect life. Because it's it's us, it's not different from us. And to live in service of others, to live for the benefit of others, that's, that's what gives meaning, that's what gives joy, that's what helps us to be connected. Tai, my teacher, would say often, compassion is our best protection. We usually feel afraid if we feel unsafe. But how, do we, how can we be compassionate? How can we offer protection and love to others? That's the best protection. In, in Sister Chung Kong's book, his, his lifelong assistant and com, uh, friend, Um, Her book is Learning True Love. She talks about um, when they were caring for people who needed medical care, who'd been caught in the crossfires of a battle. They had taken all these wounded people to a school and they were treating them. And and then the fighting got closer to them and they knew they were going to be engulfed in yet another battle. And so one of the monks very bravely took a Buddhist flag and went into the battle zone right in the middle of all the crossfire to go talk to one side and say, please don't fight in this area. We have a school full of hundreds of wounded people. And then they agreed and he went across the lines to talk to the other uh, leader and say, please, could you not come in this area? He didn't get shot. I mean, bullets were whizzing, but they didn't, they didn't harm him. And he, he said, the bullets avoided me. But that's compassion, that, that deep wish to offer care to others is a kind of protection. So coming home to ourselves, coming home to life 
inside of us, around us, caring for our own pain, turning towards it with care, with kindness, with patience, and holding that possibility for, for how this can also happen collectively. Who knows what could be released in, in deep experiences, collective experiences of healing. Who knows what insights might arise that, that could really shift the trajectory because everything isn't written and finished nothing there's no final you know we we know things are are rapidly uh, coming apart but we don't know what what the outcome will be and we still can shape that outcome right so it's not all decided and so our spiritual practice is is really um, very critical at this time it's it's always been always will be but the more we can take refuge and connect with others who who care and who are um, committed to growing wisdom the more the more we can push off into the middle see who's there celebrate and really be the ones we've been waiting for it wasn't meant to be someone else who's here <laughs> it's meant to be us so I am grateful for your attention. I'm going to pause here and invite us to take a moment in silence and then listen to a sound of the bell together. So I think we are um, at our time, and I'm really grateful for this time to be with you all, for your questions, for your listening, and uh, grateful for uh, the Cambridge Insight Meditation Community for inviting me to be with, to be with you all. <laughs>